Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Guelo Ramblings World Tour Podcast. My name is Stephen Palmer and you might know me from being the co-host of the Asian Cinema Film Club Podcast with Mr Elwood Jones. Or maybe you know of my writing for easternkicks.com or on my own Asian cinema blog guelloramblings.wordpress.com which of course is where this podcast gets its name. If you want to know more about who I am and how we got here, I suggest you go back and listen to the first episode and then come back when you're all up to speed. Or just stay and wing it. Either way, you are most welcome. Now last episode we had a trip to Italy and looked at a couple of films that are flawed classics. The beautiful horror film Suspiria with its weak narrative and dodgy acting. And Life is Beautiful, a comedy that attempted to look at love during one of the darkest times in human history. This episode we venture north, Scandinavia, and we visit Sweden, taking in two films that use childhood to look at the world. In the second half we will return to the world of horror and take in a very modern take on the vampire film. But first we will take a look at Lasse Hallström's look at a traumatic yet entertaining year in the life of a young boy in My Life as a Dog. Lassie Hallstrom's career trajectory is a fairly unusual one. He started off by making pretty much all the music videos for the Swedish supergroup ABBA, including their documentary feature ABBA the Movie. And after 1985's My Life as a Dog became a somewhat surprising international hit, Hallstrom went on to make a string of successful and award-winning films such as What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which was the breakout film for a little-known actor called Leonardo DiCaprio or someone, I don't know what happened to him, and The Cider House Rules and Chocolats. Basically, Halstrom has become a go-to guy for adapting popular literary novels. Indeed, My Life as a Dog is adapted itself from the second in a trilogy from Swedish author Raidar Jonsson. It tells the story of a young 12-year-old boy called Ingemar. He's played by Anton Glanzelius. He lives with his older brother and his mother. His father is barely mentioned and it's suggested he is a sailor and his mother is clearly in the grip of tuberculosis. Ingemar is, for the most part, a cheeky and inquisitive twelve-year-old boy, sometimes a bit naughty, but not willfully bad. After a series of misadventures have led his mother to desperation, he is sent to live with his maternal uncle in a small rural village in the southern Swedish province of Småland. The village is a close community bound together by the local glass-making industry and Ingemar slots in fairly seamlessly. He interacts with a strange but well-meaning cast. There's a man who seems to be constantly working on the roof of his house, a dying man who lives downstairs who asks Ingemar to regularly read to him from a lingerie catalogue, and the local beauty who befriends Ingemar as a kind of protective guide from the attentions of the horny local men. And most importantly, he meets Sega, played by Melinda Kinnaman, a local tomboy who is struggling with the onset of puberty, but at the same time forms a strong bond with Ingemar. We spend a year with the young man, enjoying his misadventures and those around him, whilst experiencing his brushes with sexuality and mortality. 
Ingemar gives us additional le levels of interest for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's pretty clear he is what we would probably now call as being on the spectrum. Stressful situations cause him to lash out, he still wets the bed occasionally, and he seems to have occasional issues with lifting a glass of milk to his mouth to drink. Usually it's all fairly mild stuff, but it marks a young man out as someone just a little bit different to the norm. Of course, what we experience in Schmorland is that maybe everyone has their own little quirks and oddities, and that's why he fits right in. And when the final tragedy, of many, before the young boy, he snaps and displays some strange behaviour, dog-like behaviour, that maybe speaks to a deeper problem. Secondly, he is a dedicated reader and he punctuates his adventures with narrated stories ripped from the headlines, stories of people who have tragedy thrust upon them in unusual circumstances. The athlete who was speared by a javelin, the stump man who might have survived if only he had attempted to jump over one less bus, and of course his obsession with Laika, the Soviet dog thrust into space, destined to die in five lonely months circling the earth. The purpose of these stories? Well, it's Ingemar's way of processing the world. He knows his life isn't great, but my word, it could be worse. Now, like a lot of films I'll talk about on this podcast, this film doesn't have an exciting narrative. There are moments you could consider a start, a middle, an end. But it's just the story of a year, albeit a particularly tragic year of a young boy's life, but one where the first realities of adulthood are thrust upon him. Now, I do need to mention there is a small, brief scene in the film that some might find wrong where the twelve-year-old Saga exposes her breast to Ingemar. In the context of the film, it's one of those I'll-show-you-mine-if-you-show-me-yours moments, and I'm fairly sure that's a common shared experience for many. It isn't lurid, it isn't sensationalised, but I do understand if it makes people uncomfortable. My Life as a Dog was a really surprising international success. Its story of growing up through a young boy's eyes really hit a chord, especially in subtitle-phobic America. This led to the director's career taking a turn towards Hollywood, as I already mentioned. But what happened to Glanzalius, who was being fated with praise like being a young Jack Nicholson and other such nonsense? Well, it seems he wasn't really interested in an acting career. He was much more interested in playing football, probably explaining some of the scenes in the film, despite showing considerable promise, that never materialised. He also caught the attention of that ultimate man-child, Michael Jackson, and met with him in both Sweden and America. And no, there's no salaciousness here. He did eventually end up as an adult in the Swedish television industry as an administrator. But his time as a leading man lasted precisely one film. On the other hand, Melinda Kinnaman, who played Saga, did go on to a successful career as a TV actress. But the pair remain kindred spirits, and their relationship only gets stronger, even though the bodies start to pile up. Now it's funny. I've noticed I've tended to pick a horror movie as one of the two films in each podcast. 
and there's probably two reasons for that. One is, I like horror films. But the other is probably that horror films is a genre that can transcend language and culture. What I've enjoyed about this film, and indeed the original novel it is based on, is that it isn't really interested in vampires, vampirism, the myth. Sure, vampires metaphor is a subgenre I could probably do a whole series about. But it's really interesting that both original author John Arvide Linkfest and director Thomas Alfredson both have suggested they're not interested in vampire lore. This is a story about two broken souls that find each other and they find comfort together. It's not to say there aren't plenty of shocking moments. And for those of you that love a bit of Nordic noir, I think you'll find plenty of interesting snowscapes, twisted individuals and sharp moments of violence and horror to satisfy that itch. Now one thing the film doesn't really explore directly, although it is clear through subtext and suggestion, is that there's a further darkness at play of a real-world nature. Yes, Oscar is clearly disturbed, but Ellie is actually an adult who is pursuing him romantically. And Ellie herself is using a paedophile as her familiar to get the blood she needs. I'm not saying the film whitewashes this aspect completely, but it doesn't address it head-on by moving Ellie's backstory to the margins. The performance of young Elena Leanderson is marvellous. Her Iranian and Swedish heritage give the young actress an androgynistic look that matches the character perfectly. Interestingly, her voice is actually dubbed by an older actress to give the suggestion of an older soul trapped in a 12-year-old's body. I guess you could draw a link between Anne Rice's Claudia, as played by Kirsten Dunst in Interview with a Vampire, with Ellie being equally turned before being able to grow up like a diseased Peter Pan. But for me, Ellie is a much more interesting character, with her gender, her mutilation, the people she surrounds herself with, is something even darker than Anne Rice's creation. It's more complex and, frankly, much more troubling. Oscar, too, is a character with, well, troubling undertones. Sure, he looks like a cute lab with his shock of blonde hair and his untroubling external attitude. But poke around and we what we know about him, and it's pretty sure that the darkness that attracts Ellie to him will eventually blossom without her influence. He accepts the reality of her situation very easily and becomes deeply complicit in what she has to do to survive. And whilst, by the end of the movie, he has become her willing accomplice, one wonders quite what a dark character he would have turned out to be anyway. For my money, this is a brilliant film. And, to be fair, Matt Reeves' American remake, Let Me In, is pretty darn good as well. It concentrates more on the relationship between the leads and pushes those themes of paedophilia even more to the side. But if I had to choose one, it would be this. It's a horror movie the way I personally prefer. It's not interested in jump scares or gore but it uses horror to explore the darkest recesses of the world, the dark side of people and society. Both our films this episode have much in common. 
They are both stories of young 12-year-old boys in 20th century Sweden. The stories where the leads are both touched by death and their burgeoning sexuality. But I think two more different tales I could not have chosen. Now you should be able to find a page for the podcast on Facebook now. The search for Guelo Ramblings World Tour or take a look at the episode description. If you want to contact the show, give feedback or maybe tell me about your favourite Swedish films or suggest something for a future episode, feel free to contact me there or via email on thingsfallapart at hotmail.co.uk for now. Drop me a review on whatever podcast tool you're using to listen to this and tell your friends about it, share it. I'm actually planning a future episode where I have other people talk about their own favourite foreign films. So if you'd like to contribute a short two to three minute segment, get in contact and if enough people are interested I'll close out season one of this show with a more collaborative episode. Next episode I'm going to bring the podcast home to the UK and I look at a couple of British films that I'd like to bring to your attention. One will be one of the funniest and most quotable films of all time, in my humble opinion, and a solo effort from a British actress-director that combines the anxiety of being pregnant, along with serial killers. So until next time, this is Stephen, signing off from Sweden. Hey, tack, adzur.